This is a podcast with Jack Green and I found this podcast quite intriguing. I found it really enjoyable to listen to Jack because this is a man who has took it upon himself to move away from something that gave him such a strong identity, something which had a load of external recognition, something which gave Jack a lot of external validation to, um, and Jack felt like it was something that he had to do. It was something that, from a, being a young kid, you know, he admits that he didn't really have the, the motivation to do sport. It was more of a person that liked animals. I think his inspiration originally was to be a vet as a young kid, but he came up through the hurdling game um, as a young man and ended up being the fourth in London 2012 at the Olympics as a hurdler. He was the fourth in the Commonwealth Games. He was bronze at the European and World Championships and he was top 10. He was in the top 10 for his sport, for his trade. This all on paper looks quite amazing but behind it Jack was struggling with his mental health. Jack was diagnosed with depression, bipolar tendencies and anxiety. Jack had a breakdown and actually took two years out of the sport. He took himself away and he thought that this was taking care of himself but although looking back on reflection he admits that this was a period where he didn't learn anything and he thought he was helping himself. In reality, he doesn't think he did. And in that time, in the, the moments, he thought they wanted to get back into elite sport. Um, but after a chat with a therapist and someone that was helping him with his mental health, he realised that all of this motivation was just hanging on external reasons to get back into it. So I find it really interesting. I find it something that's quite compelling to find where Jack is now. He now is in charge of wellbeing down at BBC Studios in London in the big time um, so he's got some lessons to share with us he's got some real truth he's got some real vulnerability to give to us in the hope and in the fact that it can help people out there and it can help this message progress the knowledge around mental health and, and progress the conversation um, you know it's okay to talk but I hope that people listening can feel like it's okay to listen feel like it's okay to take this on and encourage a theme of vulnerability or a kindness for their mental health, especially in these strange, strange times. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for joining in. We haven't done many podcasts lately. We've had a bit of a break, but thank you for listening. Every time I see the numbers come up and see the people listening, see the comments on it, it gives me a massive buzz. And I hope to keep doing the emails to the subscribers. Have a look at what we're doing. Get in touch. Drop us a line. And get involved, get involved in the movement uh, at a time which I feel is even more needed. Enjoy it, guys. Jack, good to have you on, matey, on the Mentality Podcast. Good to have you here, mate. I'm, um, I'm particularly excited today, actually, about, about having you on because uh, after seeing your your career and, and seeing um, the sort of steps you've taken uh, towards the back end of your career at 28 years old um, I've I've done a lot of chatting with with Jabber at the BBC and he's he's sort of put us two together and put us in contact and um, I think we've got you know similar stories and, and similar ways to look at the world look at uh, the the profession of sport and and look at you know what best to do in in terms of well-being too so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the chat mate and um, I, I just I think 
we could we could start and, and especially for mentality listeners and people that that might not know the ins and outs of, of your career and um would you be able to give us a bit of a backdrop into to you know what you do um now but also you know the the sort of the start of of jack green and and the start of of your hurdles if you like um yeah. a bit, bit when you were a bit younger too yeah of course so um right now i'm in i'm in a really privileged position i'm head of well-being at bbc studios and that came through our, our mutual friend mm-hmm. um and I'm, I'm very grateful for that it's a fantastic opportunity and as you said i'm 28 years old and, and no longer in sport and it's a real difficult time for a lot of, of sports people to to make that transition so you know to have this opportunity come up and, and especially to work in well-being something i'm passionate about and hopefully help people very grateful but obviously before that i had a, a quite a big story beforehand um despite being 28 had quite a long career i, I was a professional athlete for for 10 years i represented great britain at two olympic games three worlds two europeans and a commonwealth um so i came fourth in london 2012 um fourth at the commonwealth games and i have bronze medals from europeans and world championships i'm a 400 meter hurdler the horrible one the one that no one wants to do <laughs> yeah. um yeah. unfortunately that's the one i was good at yeah. so i didn't have a choice Just i had got to do to horrible it, training yeah i wanted to be a 100 meter runner and get all the glory like everyone else but yeah, it just wasn't wasn't my day for that one um but yeah so in that time obviously on, on paper, it sounds fantastic. I had a great career. I achieved a lot. I'm very proud of it. But during that time, I really struggled with my mental health. I was diagnosed shortly after the 2012 Olympics with depression, bipolar tendencies, anxiety. And that all kind of came from a lot of my own internal pressures and expectations, what I demanded of myself, not really understanding what mental health was, not not ever experiencing it from mm-hmm. my friends and family or, or the environments I was in and, and the society kind of thing of being a male sports person, successful, not allowed to feel certain ways. And I'd really struggled that. I wasn't able to be vulnerable. Um, so I, enjoying my career after 2012, I was 20 years old, top 10 in the world, um, came fourth at Olympics, huge achievement, bearing in mind 20 years old in an event where you tend to peak between the age of 28 and 32. And uh, after that is when I, I then had my, my my breakdown and I took nearly two years out from the sport to kind of manage myself. But in reality, I didn't manage myself. I took myself away from a high pressure environment mm-hmm. thinking that that was managing. Actually, I didn't learn anything about my mental health and my issues and, and why I struggled. I just hid from it. Yeah. I then returned to the sport, moved out to Florida, um, sold everything I owned to, to do that. And Back, back when I made that decision, it was because I thought I was ready to return to, to elite sport. But in reality, I didn't know I could do anything else. I went professional at 18. Um, I'd never done anything else. My whole life was towards that. I had no other identity. I was Jack Green, the athlete, nothing more. So when I was given the opportunity to return to the sport, it's not that I wanted to. It's, I didn't know what else I could do. So returned to the sport, went to Florida, Various challenges here and there. I constantly struggled my mental health. Um, ended up being self-coached and, and things after a year in Florida. But I won my medals back in top 10 and top 20 ranking in the world. Did very well whilst being self-coached. Um, but yeah, as I said, my I was, I was suicidal during those times. Um, even the high performance times, really struggling with mental health. And that led me to, in... Um, about five months ago, end of in, end of last year, kind of making that decision after working with a therapist for the first time with a counsellor because I'd always refused to work with people. Um, mm. but, but decided to work with someone because my mental health was in such poor state and kind of one of the main questions that was asked was, 
why would you return to the sport? Why, why are you doing this? And the only reasons I could ever come up with were external ones because society says, well, why wouldn't you want to be a sports person now? Because you're at the age where you can achieve things, you can win medals and da 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 and why wouldn't yeah. you go to the Olympics? And I couldn't come up with one internal reason. So I kind of stood up and, and made that decision of, no, I'm not going to put myself you know, through all these sacrifices and, and literally destroy myself for something I don't actually want. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led me to here and, and working in well-being with the BBC, um, which, you know, I've been an ambassador in, in mental health with Mind Young Minds, worked with the government on some um, elite sport mental health reform and, and been a public speaker for, for several years sharing my story. And obviously an hour, hour and a half long compared to a quick little brief yeah. um, like that. But so, yeah, that's kind of how I, I got into what I'm doing now and, and my, my story before that. So... Well, that's some story. That's some story, and I think because we, we've we've got all the sort of the journey there and and and, and the sort of the framework. Um, thanks for giving us all that. That was that was good, and 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 you know you've 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 tipped in there. There's, there's a few. I mean, there's a few things that come to mind. A few questions that come to mind, um, and and one that sort of that stood out to me is is like the sort of the internal. Um, I guess it's the intrinsic motiv- intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. How how did that like develop as you were a young kid? If you can think back to when you were a young kid, like you know, what was that when when you started out? Like started doing the hurdling or started realizing that you had to do the four hundred meters instead of the hundred. Do you know like what what was that sort of that um that that motivation and 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 why is it that you you found that the to be the compelling one compared to um you know a bit further on when when the external pressures came in yeah well my motivation as a kid was kind of the same as what we're all like I found out I wasn't interested in sport as a kid had no interest at all I liked animals dinosaurs wanted to be a vet or a zookeeper something like that yeah. like, that's what I liked yeah, but yeah. trying out at school run down the grass track to represent your school and go oh wow this kid can run and mm. as a young kid you love being told you're good at something you like winning why well, who doesn't like, yeah that's it's a great feeling and and i think that happens a lot within society as we go oh you're good at something do that we don't actually ask and unfortunately you know kids don't have the maturity or emotional intelligence at that point to say yes or no but no one asks do you actually really enjoy this is this Mm -hmm. what you want to do um and it kind of it kind of just rolls along doesn't it the more successful you get you just kind of carry on in that and and that's kind of what happened with me so I didn't my my motivation as a kid was very much I just want to win and I like being the best at things Mm. um and I like the praise I like the recognition now when things get tough that's not particularly great is it like that doesn't keep you going that's when you start talking about purpose and and things and that's something I had to learn along the way what's the reason why you do what you do um which for me has now changed to I do what I do because I like helping people yeah. Right. I, I, I've coached um, athletes of, of Olympic standard and so on and worked within rugby, football, cricket, because I like helping people. I've got I've got knowledge in something. I like helping people. I know I work in well-being because I've got knowledge and I get to help people. Mm. That gets me up in the morning. If you just said, here's a pay packet or because oh, you might win, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. As a young athlete, that cool. That was the only thing I, ga- I cared about. It was the only thing that was important, but it's not powerful. It doesn't keep you in the game. Um, so that's kind of how it's changed in terms of over time. And I think that just comes with emotional intelligence rather than anything else. I think that's just a, a bit of perspective, a bit of realization and, and going through the struggles that I had that you start just asking yourself questions rather than just, 
when you're successful and I never failed as a kid, that was the main issue with me. I just never failed or I avoided the things I might fail at. So I sacked off all my academics, all my schoolwork, because I was scared that I might get something wrong and it would penetrate this armor of I'm going to be the next superstar. And if I'm going to be the next superstar, I can't fail at anything, even if it's maths or whatever it might be. So I just avoided it. Um, and yeah, so yeah, that's hell. I just ran on, but there you go. Um, there's, there's a lot in terms of that, but I think that's kind of how I've always viewed things going from that. It's all about what other people think to then coming into this world, actually what, what's important to me and, and what matters to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and would you think that like, as, as you were growing up, it was sort of like that linear curve without the, the adversity or the, the time to ask those questions that you've, you've perhaps asked in, you know, in later life? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I come from a single parent family, no money, like struggles in terms of that, but I've always had a lot in terms of care and love and things. But then, so I had adversity in terms of that, in terms of life, but on the track, no, none at all. Like if I did lose a race, I, I'd use that as fuel to then eventually beat those guys. And I ended up just going, you know, from being a county standard athlete to then suddenly British record holder representing the country. And, and by the age of 19, I was ranked top 20 in the world. So it's kind of just, I never learned. And then my first, my big trigger and the reason why I really struggled after 2012 is at the age of 20, I was ranked sixth in the world thinking I could win the Olympics because in my head I could. Um, and I fell in my semi-final, and that was my, my experience. And I failed for the first time in front of 80,000 people in a stadium and millions watching. Um, and that's a bloody hard environment to fail in. And, you know, you've been in stadiums with thousands and thousands of people. It's not a place you want to get things wrong. And if you have, you know, teams don't perform if there's this, this fear of failure. Um, and then I managed to fail in, in, in the biggest stage possible. Yeah. And so that was the 2012 Olympics that, that yeah. happened in the semi. And did you, did you, so you did, did you manage to go through to to the next, to the final then, or is that? So I fell out, that's hurdles done. And then um, the, we have a few relay. days later, we had the relay that's where it, I finished, yeah. finished fourth and, and, you know, had that second opportunity as such, but it was almost like lightning striking twice because in my head I could win medals in the hurdles and I didn't give myself the opportunity to see how good I could be because I got in my own head, there was the fear and, and anxiety and I got in the way of my own physical performance. So then I was thinking, right, right we're in the relay. We qualified in bronze position through to the final thinking, right, cool. Going to be an Olympic medalist the next day. And, and we, we missed a medal by 0.13 of a second. So um, as a young athlete, lack of emotional intelligence, I really struggled with, with that because I kind of saw that my destiny was to win things and, other people were doing that instead of me. And I always almost saw that like life wasn't fair. For sure. Like, oh, I don't know. That that shouldn't be happening to me because I'm meant to be this. I'm mm. meant to be that, which we all know now. You know, it's a load of rubbish. Destiny mm. doesn't exist. You know, mm. you create whatever and life is what it is. But at the time, I, I couldn't comprehend that. Yeah, I think, I mean, you talked a little bit about um, the sort of, yeah, I guess I guess you're sort of referring to the the purpose that you've got there in, in helping people and um, how that dynamics changed from when you were a young lad, and and I can sort of relate. Like, I think I think there's like different levels of purpose and there's different levels that, that you go through and that you you grow through if you like, and um, I think certainly in in my career where you know I, I sort of had that had that linear curve 
similar to you growing up, um, you know, going through the ranks as a, as a rugby player and um, getting, getting, getting through those levels uh, that, that you do and, and getting to the first team and, and winning silverware and stuff. Um, and a lot of it is like, right, it's all about I and it's all about myself and it's sort of like, right, okay, um, I'm going to get to this stage, I'm going to, you know, get to this certain level of play and then I'm going to be the best at this and I'm going to be the best at that. Um, and I think in my life, mate, I, I relate to you a lot because I've had the scenarios, the similar scenarios where um, you've got that such that such big amount of drive and passion for for this sort of it's like egocentric thing, like this thing for yourself. And um, I think once you push that and you keep pushing it, but then there's there's pushback against it. It's almost like that has to that purpose has to filter to some towards something else or to something more um because i reckon if if that if i hadn't have had the injuries and i hadn't have had the adversity um i probably wouldn't be sat here talking to you about this conversation because you have to you have to look at different options you have to look at different scenarios and you have to look at um i guess it's those intrinsic um values that you're talking about and those intrinsic reasons for why you do stuff um so obviously I, you know I, I that came to a point for me where i had to evaluate that and, and 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 i had a lot of time to think about it i was out for 12 months in 2016 um so i had a lot of time to think about it and explore and experiment and that's where mentality came from um so yeah, the the sort of levels of purpose, I think they change and they can they can sort of you could dis- discover a further purpose, a further like uh, task or a further requirement that you feel like you've got to serve serve the world. I was just thinking about like the time for you um, after twenty twelve, uh, after that that scenario and and that like breakdown, or it could be perceived as a as a breakthrough for you in hindsight. I'm not sure. Um, what was that like and, and how did that come? I'm just thinking of, for listeners, just in case they're in this position or in they're, they're in this spot um, and they may be feeling a lot of the same feelings or um, discomfort, disease. Just for, could you like sort of illustrate what it was like for you after after that moment in 2012 and, and, and the scenario that followed that? Yeah, for sure. The main thing was I felt I felt ashamed and embarrassed um, of my performance was was a huge thing, and and my self worth was attached to my running. If I ran fast, I was a good person. If I ran slowly, I was a bad person. That's how my head worked. It's ridiculous, but it's how it worked. So at that point, I I wasn't too pleased about myself. I didn't. I was embarrassed to be an Olympic athlete. I was because I didn't. You know, when people ask, you have to go. Oh, I came forth. I fell and I was ashamed by that when in reality this was my dream from the age of seven what an amazing achievement at 20 years old but at the time yeah. I was ashamed I was 20 years old yeah 20 exactly like two years before I was studying a BTEC at college like, like come on like, I was, was nowhere near the top 100 in the world and now I'm doing these things wow. and it was a dream but you just don't you get blinkers on and I couldn't comprehend it and I kind of left those Olympics ashamed embarrassed I would go out we get a month off every year to get drunk basically and I'd go out to a local pub and people were like, oh, you're the guy that fell at the Olympics. And that's kind of how I was known. And, and it just kind of was, you know, reaffirming to me that it was embarrassment. It was mm-hmm. something, you know, everything I've ever sacrificed, everything I've ever worked towards was was a failure. When really, I, you just learn from it. But mm-hmm. for me, I then struggled for about six to eight months. Now, I'd been incredibly inconsistent before the Olympics. 
um, because of all that internal pressure and expectation I put upon myself, I demanded that I should be Olympic champion quality in everything I do every second of the day. So where I tried to sustain that high intensity, I just would be incredibly inconsistent, have great days, have bad days, because I just couldn't keep it there because it's not mm. human. Yeah. Um, so I'd already been really inconsistent and really struggling. Then was embarrassed and ashamed by my performance and the trigger of that. And for about six to eight months, I was suicidal. I was in a horrible place, but I didn't believe in mental health. didn't believe it existed. I thought it was the weak, weak people, people can't hack life. I'm not one of those. I'm strong. I'm this, I'm this ranking in the world. I'm not one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I struggled for a long time of trying to like change other things. I moved into a house, couldn't afford, never, never had a nice house, lived in rented houses, you know, council flats and things. My mum, oh, maybe a nice house and something will fall into place. Got a nice car, you know, all these different changing what, what I was eating, maybe my, my, my nutrition's off, maybe, you know, this, 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 changing all these things. And I went to my first race um, and I was lost at this point. I was suicidal. Like I was in the worst place you could be. Yet I was still turned up at train every day. Yet yeah. every time I left the house, I all I wanted to do was jump in front of the car, like having all these mm. thoughts or mm. you get in the train somewhere and you think, right, it'd be better off being in front of this. Yeah, I was still performing and, and being an athlete. And in my first race um, of the season, went all the way to Qatar and I got halfway around and I just I stopped, just couldn't, didn't want to do it. I couldn't do it. And I got called into my coach's office and basically asked, well, what's wrong? What's the problem? And that's when I broke down properly for the first time, tears and so on, mm -hmm. just being like, I can't do what I've always wanted to do. I don't want to, like, I don't want to live, let alone run around. And I was very lucky that I was funded at the time and, and was able to then see us our doctor who then diagnosed me and, and sent me a psychiatrist for, for six weeks in the Priory uh, in Birmingham that, that gave me some perspective. But that whole time, I didn't believe in mental health, and that was the main issue. I didn't believe all these things of I'm not allowed to feel vulnerable, I'm not allowed to feel weak, I'm not allowed to feel sad because I don't feel these things. Mm. I'm a superstar, superstars don't feel these. And my nickname was a green machine. So even more, I was meant to be like a robot because I, Jack never shows tiredness. Jack never shows, you know, that mm. he's struggling with anything. It's, something that, it's a badge of honor within, within yeah. sport and, and sure. for men as well. So just... <laughs> you know, even more of you're not allowed to feel, feel and show these things. But the whole time I felt lost, whole time. I just, and that was mainly through stigma of it. Not that I knew of the stigma or anything, but yeah, it was this whole feeling of I'm lost. I don't know who I am um, at a point when I should have been at my very best. Mm. And yeah, and I said, you know, suicidal at that point, I, I could have quite happily, um, you know, done something really horrible at that point, which is sad. Well, mate, let me just say how remarkable it is that you're you're in this place now, and you're actually you're delivering the stuff that you've learned, mate. And I think that's more powerful than anything. And you're delivering the knowledge around the stuff, I guess, that you were not believing in, or you were you were sort of conflicted with, if you like. I, I imagine that was one of the hardest things, like to be in that state, but not allow yourself to to feel it and to. Because I've been there before, mate. I've been there where you're struggling and, you, you, you know, you, you've you got the jobs you've got to do. You've got to go out and you've got to perform. You've got to, you know, and it's it's sort of like you've got to be able to allow yourself enough space to, to feel vulnerable, but then to be able to go and do that stuff as well. Um, but you've got to be kind to yourself too, in a way. You've got to to acknowledge this stuff. And, and is that one of the, 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 the things that that you reckon in hindsight that because you weren't accepting it and you felt the sort of, I don't know, uh, 
like you said, the shame or whatever. Do you think that was the, the, the main thing that you just, because you were resisting it almost or? Yeah, I think, I think it was just a lack, not a lack of awareness, but more a, a lack of understanding. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I t- like this time last year and around this time last year, I was probably in the worst place I've ever been. Um, whereas now I'm in a really good place. And that was because what changed my life was vulnerability, quite frankly. It was embracing vulnerability, accepting I was a human being and that human beings are allowed to feel certain emotions, accepting them, sitting with them, embracing them, realizing actually when you sit with these feelings and you feel this sadness or so on, they're not as powerful as, as you you think. Yeah. And when I would always struggle is because I wore this armor. I wore a mask, I wore an armor, and I try and keep everything out, right? Because I'm a superstar not allowed to feel these things. I've got to go forward. And then anytime either, you know, all those feelings kind of overflowed or something got through my, my armor was when I'd really struggle because, yeah. and that all came from me going, I'm not allowed to feel this way and yet I'm feeling it. Mm. So as soon as I accepted, I'm allowed to, it transformed my life. Except it, look, there's a bit of hurt. Sometimes, you know, turn up, give all of yourself and it might hurt, but at the same time, you're going to feel joy because the real funny thing about this, this armor and this vulnerability is the whole time I tried to block out all the negative, I never felt happy. I never mm. felt joy because I ended up blocking out everything. So mm. I'd either feel everything or feel nothing. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's, I probably wasted a lot of my life on this whole idea this ideology of of how we're supposed to be as as men as sports people and actually missed out on a lot of opportunities in life and a lot of relationships and friendships and things all because i'm meant to act a certain way when actually i'm meant to be me i'm meant to act as me and if that doesn't fit into a certain circle or environment don't don't matter it's not my problem is it but it's taken me you know 28 years to get to that and and several episodes of of really really poor mental health to figure that out so that's why i'm quite passionate about talking about it because if i you know people can learn from my story or at least have a little moment where they think okay i'll give this a thought that they don't have to go through the things you know that you and i have felt Mm -hmm. then that's the win isn't it that's the whole point of of talking i hate speakers that kind of just go yeah i was successful and you go cool that's good for you but Speaking's about teaching people stuff. For sure. And to me, sure. it's I'm going to share my journey that hopefully you can then take those experiences and don't have to live them yourself. Mm. So yeah, and like, where where do you see the environment of it now? Like, you know, I think back to and and you're, you're you know you're referencing eight years ago, and and that is you know that's probably around the time. I mean, even five years ago, where it was sort of it was sort of like the sort of the elephant in the room or it was sort of something which everyone felt and everyone had and you know now you'd sort of think and and, and imagine that you know if, if you'd come down from another planet you'd, you'd sort of think what's this thing that's mental health all of a sudden been been invented do you know like you'd, you'd, you'd yeah. sort of think well, who's magicked up uh, mental health if, you, if you'd gone away and come back for a bit um and it's sort of, I guess it's been the oil tanker that, that's taken a, t- a long time to sort of turn and, and to sort of push it in the other way in another direction. Where do you see it now compared to, to you know, eight years ago? And, and obviously, because you're dealing it a lot now and, and you do a lot with it, you know, how healthy do you see it now and, and how healthy do you see it becoming in the future too? Yeah, so if you look at the role I'm in as, as a well-being uh, consultant head of well-being in, in corporate in the workplace but mm. this role five years ago wouldn't have existed exist. right 
Um, and now we're going to be in a, poor, a, a position that I think this role is only going to get bigger and bigger and it's going to be expected that it doesn't matter what size company, every company is going to have to have a well-being strategy. And rightly so, because we should be looking after people, right? Um, so that's really exciting because that's promising for everyone. Now, I went public with my mental health issues um, in 2013 and did a two-page spread in the Sunday Times on it because I didn't really understand the stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I probably wouldn't have gone public now if I had a different choice. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really pleased being able to help people. I'm an honest person, so it's easier to live that way. But the stigma was very, very strong at that point, and I experienced it, and, and it wasn't it wasn't good. And unfortunately, I've had to be one of the you know the first athletes within track and field anyway mm-hmm. um, to kind of start talking about that that subject. So hopefully, it helps other people. And it's last, as you said, last five years has, has improved for sure. Um, now, where we're at in society at the moment, how I feel um, and how I look at it within workplaces and so on, is everyone has an awareness, right, mm-hmm. of mental health, i.e. everyone you meet now will go, yep, yeah, mental health exists. Cool. The problem is, and everyone's quite happy to say that, even mm-hmm. generations that, that would have struggled with that are now saying, yeah, mental health exists. Yeah. Everyone has mental health, poor, good, whatever it might be. The issue we now have is the education understanding of it, that when people actually experience it, either for themselves or or people around them, they don't actually know what it is. And we go straight back into that old stigma of, oh, no, no, you're fine, especially as British. So we've got the awareness. Everyone's going, yeah, it exists. But actually, no one knows what it is. And I think that's the next step. And we've done massive things. You know, I say we like I have, I haven't. But, you know, charities and so on have done fantastic things with their campaigns to boost our awareness. And that's where social media has been fantastic. But now what are we actually teaching people about it? Mm. That is the next step for us. Mm. Um, And until we do that, I think we're always going to have that that barrier of people being able to be open and talk about it. and hopefully that's something, you know, I can start breaking down, which is already done very well at BBC Studios, I have to say. The mental health provisions are pretty good, but how can we then get that everywhere? Yeah, for sure. And 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 what's like your first, what would your first tasks be? Like, you know, as, as that role at the BBC, like what, what do you go in there to do and, and how do you plan to, to sort of break down more of the stigma, but then ask them to understand it? Because like you say, a lot of it is, is sort of being able to relate it to your experience and, and experiential. And, and I guess it really, really helped me having you down there and telling your story um, and situations that you've been in uh, to, to relate to them will, will really help. What's the, um, what's the, the sort of plan going in there and, and, and where do you see it going? Yeah. So I was brought in to kind of audit what's currently happening. So let's, let's find out what, what BBC studios currently do. Let's find out where the gaps are and, and how we can improve. And, um, a lot of the thing in terms of internal stories, I'm a public speaker, right? So I've already spoken to, especially with coronavirus being, you know, well-being's at the number one at the moment, look after our people because they're all struggling at home or, or other uncertainty or stresses. So I've spoken to over, I think it's nearly 2,000 staff now sharing my story, did 25 different team meetings, town halls, because internal stories for me is so powerful. Yeah, I've been an external speaker, right? External speakers are great. They come in, they cost quite a bit, and it might be a flash in the pan. Mm. Their story's great, but Mm. you might not get that much effect. Whereas what we actually want to change is the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And the culture is if you get internal people speaking, especially people in leadership and higher up, get them sharing their stories. 
people can relate a lot better within that business and we create this environment that hopefully will we'll get that change. Now, what studios do well already, you've got Mental Health First Aid, we've got, you know, pairing with Mind and doing the mental health awareness um, in the workplace for employees and for managers. Um, and just then continuing with these stories, these internal stories for me is, is really key. I'm all about people, right? So it's, it's human. Um, you can put in all you want in terms of apps and things, but unless you get humans talking to humans, I don't think you'll get as big a bigger change. It all helps. Like mm. those are all methods we'll use. But for me, the thing I'm probably most passionate about is actually right. Can we get the top people sharing their experiences? And that doesn't mean you know not everyone has had poor mental health, um, but that can be sharing any experience, any story you have. There might be family members, whatever it might be. It might be physical health. It might be financial health, social health, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's so many aspects that it's just about breaking down barriers and and creating an environment that's open and honest. For sure, mate. I, I find that, and, and um, especially like in the team environment, you know you can get external people coming in and offering their story and, and their sort of, um, you know, their, their way that they can influence you. But, you know, when it's your teammates and when it's people around you that you're working with every day and, and then that creates the environment and, and it makes it a, a an honest place, a more happy place and, and people are actually showing the flaws and, and actually everyone's all right with that you know it's sort of like magic i don't know i don't know what you feel like that but it's it's magic mate and 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 that's the thing that that i guess can't be packaged up and it can't be you know sent around to places but i think that sort of that magic and that sort of trust and and honesty that you gain from that is is it's it's pretty special and it's pretty powerful and especially in, in team environments when you have to you have to um put your head above the parapet every now and then and you've got to uh go into the trenches with your mate that's um it's invaluable i don't i don't know what you think about that ah, for sure. trust is the main thing isn't it right mm. um you know if you trust those people around you and that's probably because they've opened up and they've shown the real them then you'll go above and beyond for people and they'll do the same for you and i will always perform better if i trust someone or if I know someone's got my back, I've always said it in terms of with, with sport. I'm like, look, if you look after me, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard. I will go to that next level. Whereas if you don't actually care about me, you see me as a commodity, which we, you know, you and I experience in sport mm-hmm. within our careers. I'm, I'm sure you have. And, mm-hmm. um, if someone treats me as a commodity, it's not as human being, I'm not, I'm not working for them. I'm working for me and the people who, who do. Right. And this is where, especially in team environments with, with coaches and so on, that you start getting that disconnect and coaches lose their jobs or, or teams underperform. And it's because of that, that element of trust. Um, and that can only be built by vulnerability. And now the interesting thing with vulnerability, everyone thinks it's the, the hardest thing is to be vulnerable when actually vulnerability is all about the person receiving it. Right. So the hardest thing is how it's received. So if I'm vulnerable to you and you go, ah, yeah, well, whatever, not bothered, I'm never going to open up again, right? Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't hard for me to firstly say that in comparison to then how it's received. You're mm-hmm. always worried about the reception. Yeah. So sure. if you can create an environment where people understand that if someone op- you know, opens with you, you've got, to, you've got to respond well back to continue that. That you get you that will break down if someone just goes no yeah you know oh no you're fine or whatever it might be so I think that's a really interesting thing within team dynamics everyone thinks it's just about one person going oh I'm struggling mm. no it's about how it's received 
two-way thing in it it's got to be reciprocated yeah. and i think if you if you do it if, you, if you're vulnerable and then you don't get anything back it's a vulnerability hangover in it you saw like yeah. uh you saw like questioning going, oh, shit did that did i get yeah. a message right or did i you know did i <laughs> Should, say something i've done that yeah. <laughs> yeah uh does he think that's all right or what you know he's sort of questioning but mate that is really important thing he said there like the the way that it is received and and the way that the environment is around it um it's all it's all about that safe space isn't it i guess that sort of that way to to create that safe space and uh to to know that it's going to be heard it's going to be sort of felt and and, and considered so yeah that is a, a massive thing I think if you know if any workplace is listening or um, any any bosses listening you know you've got to have that sort of space set up and sure. and sort of put that those 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 things in place too um, and I was just thinking Jack as well in terms of you touched you touched a bit on uh, being 28 years old um, yeah. when you were 28 you, you decided uh, and you spoke through and you looked at the option to retire or to 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 stop yeah. to stop running to stop hurdling, um, and from the outside perspective, you also spoke about that. It'd be people saying, "Oh no, you've got chances to win. You've got chances to to be in the top three. You've got you're in the you know a certain number in in the world, and and you've you've got all these sort of chances to do it." They're talking from their perspective, from what they yeah. think and what they want. How how was how was it for you when you was in that position where you was talking with with um, the the psychologist or the counsellor? Was there conflict? Was there conflict in your mind, and and or did it become quite clear? I think I'd got to the point in, in terms of my mental health was that poor that that I was open, I was ready. The, bearing in mind, I'd never seen any worked with anyone apart from that first six weeks after being diagnosed, I never worked with anyone. That's how desperate a state I've got to that I was ready right. and I was open. So, you know, I don't like mindfulness and things like that. I really struggle with it. It's a fantastic tool, but I struggle with it. Yeah. Mm. I, was, I was sitting in a counselor's room going like, if you want to, we want to try that, let's do it. I, Cause I was at a point where I was thinking I might not last, you know, yeah. the end of the year, let alone, you know, whatever. Mm. So looking at an Olympics, so I was just so open and ready and actually making that decision was really easy because I knew it was right. Yeah. And because I knew I just, there was a change. And I think when you speak to people who have retired, when they do it on their own terms, they know the time's right. You know, mm. really unfortunate. If people get it through injury and so on, there's always, it's difficult, really, mm. really difficult. You can't, you, you can't really, you can help people with it, but there's always going to be a real struggle with it. Yeah. Now for me, I, had taken control of my own life and my own career and that was really powerful for me because I'm in probably physically I'm in the best shape I've ever been I'm still really really good shape I'd be ready to rumble but because I made that decision it was it was quite beautiful it was easy yeah. and the only the only difficulty I've had from it um and it's not personal difficulty it's just other people don't understand because of all those things people go well why would you, why have you retired like and people go, well, why would you give that up? And, and you know, the glamorous life and so on. But yeah. that's the only kind of part that's been negative about it. And it's not my, my concern. So um, they, because the people that know me, the people in my circle or the people who have had mental health issues um, know exactly why I've made the decision. Mm. So I'm cool with that. Yeah. And, and does that, when people come up to you and talk, you, talk to you about it and question you, do you, does a second, do, do you for a second go, fuck, like, <laughs> the, the, the powering all the, the pouring all this stuff onto you and if like for a second you go oh, I, I know what you know like for a second do you think right and 
you know, I come back to myself, I know why I've done it and I know what, what the decision has been. Yeah, exactly. I, it's one of those. I've, I, one thing that really changed me, including the vulnerability bit, was understanding who was important and whose opinions were valid. I used to worry about everyone else's opinions all the time. I really struggled with that, and that brought my anxiety up. Mm. And when I then decided, like, and this came from Brené Brown, if you read any of her stuff, really good. Um, and it came from, from something I read of hers that was basically like, if you haven't been in the arena with me, so that doesn't mean have you been on a track at the Olympics, have you experienced things that I've experienced so can relate with me and, and empathize? Or are you in my circle of people, right? If you're not in those, I don't care about your opinion. That's your problem, not mine. And that really transformed my life on that. So I was able to be a lot better in terms of those discussions or those conversations because I was just like, yeah, cool, have your moment, not my problem. Um, and that gave me a lot of power and took away a lot of anxiety, social anxiety um, and social pressure was just understanding who and what's important. Now, it sounds easy to do. It's not, but yeah. it's something you work on. But that was a, a huge one for me. And as you said, you do get you get people go, oh, but then you're like, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to live it, so it's not my problem. No. For sure, for sure, yeah. So, they, 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 I guess they only see the, uh, the, the, the sort of like the, the podium finishes. They only see that bit, don't they, which is, which is like why they've got that viewpoint, I guess. Um, yeah, you see, you see someone on a, on a pitch for 80 minutes on a track for... 48 seconds you haven't seen the fact that you know people are going to me are you struggling with isolation i'm like no i've done that for the last 10 years as an athlete <laughs> i monitored how much i should be walking i can't be in the sun for this long you can't go out and drink all these things as yeah. an athlete i'm like no it's cool so they don't see see the journey and that's something mm. that i think we all need to learn as well and, and appreciate is we all have a journey mm. um and sometimes it's, it's really good to just look back and acknowledge like, oh, wow. Like, I came fourth at Commonwealth Games, so I missed a medal by two hundredths of a second back in 2018, my last season of racing. Yeah. And um, I came fourth and I celebrated, right? I missed a medal by the thickness of a T-shirt and I celebrated yeah. because I knew how far I'd come. Like, you know, I self-coached, self-funded um, at that point, training on my own, doing everything on my own. And, you know, six years before, well, five years before, I wasn't in the sport and was suicidal mm. and now i'm at a point where you know i'm achieving great things sometimes you've got to look back and go well done whereas i never did that as a young athlete it was always about the next thing the next right what, yeah. what's next to achieve oh you've won this right we'll win the next thing what's that actually no you can still we can still work like that but we just have to appreciate those steps and, and part of that journey and, and sometimes it takes a long old time and there's a lot of you know steps on the ladder for some people and some there's less but we just have to appreciate that that's how it works it's that it's it's funny, mate. I um I did a podcast with um Stephen McRae, who's a ballet dancer, one of the top ballet dancers at Royal Ballet, um, and he we were talking a bit about this in depth, like the ways that we you know. So me and Stephen are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Like he's a ballet dancer, I'm a rugby league player, you know. So there's a long way to go in 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 differences in in that, but the sort of way that we've got to both of those. Um, there's very, it's very similar in a way because it's that sort of next objective, next objective, next goal, next goal. And then the feeling of that goal and the feeling of that sort of object, um, objective being ticked off is very brief. You can wring as much out of it as you can by experiencing the, and, and telling yourself, yeah, I've done this, I've done it, I've done it. But then it's to the next one. Um, and I was just wondering what what you thought in, in, in terms of that, what you think of the balance. You know, I imagine you've got a really well-measured approach now, but I'll put this question to you. I think it was the same to Stephen, but 
where do you think the line comes and and do you think it's essential to have that sort of um mindset or do you think that if you could go back and plug in some some more of that appreciation uh for for a young jack a young hurdling jack um along the way in between those hurdles metaphorically and and uh, physically on the track would you do it or do you think well i know i needed to to be that sort of um focused on the next thing and the next thing to to get here or do you reckon there's a, a balance to be found it's definitely a balance and i found it later in my career um i achieved you know my i was still getting to top 10 in the world when i was being a lot more relaxed with life and appreciating life and and, and trying to be human um but the, the i think the real real interesting part of with me and I don't know, you know, a lot of people are the same. You might be the same. All the reasons why I'm incredibly good at what I do are also all the reasons why I struggle with mental health because I don't manage them. Mm. Well, I do now, but I didn't then. Like I'm hugely intense. I'm hugely obsessive. I will, you know, sacrifice anything and everything and myself. I'm quite happy. Yeah, with, sure. And I still sacrifice myself in many ways. I'm always somewhere I like to help people. I always sacrifice myself. I've never mm. thought twice about it, whether it's, it doesn't matter what the goal is. I'll put myself, you know, put myself down and, and let's, let's get to wherever we need to be. Yeah. Um, now all those things are fantastic in terms of as a 400 meter runner where, you know, it's painful when you've got to bury yourself on a regular basis, fantastic <laughs> traits to have. But the problem was I lived with those traits 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I turn up at the track. Now let's use these fantastic traits. You've got, let them loose on a track, go nuts with them. Right. You're off the track, leave them alone now. Yeah. Now I lived with it 24 seven. And that was where the problem came because I was, I was living in almost like this, this conflict zone all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was always actually in fear and always like on edge rather than using it as a switch. So something I did later in my career was I love a whiskey, big whiskey, whiskey fan. And I never let myself drink when I was a younger athlete, but then mm-hmm. I started relaxing being like, really one beer is not going to decide whether you win the Olympics or not. Yeah. Changing my mindset in that. But what I used to do was as soon as my track suit was on, we're going to the track, we're getting ready to rumble game on, like let loose, go to town you can you can be do whatever you need to do, be as horrible as you need to be, or be as intense as you need, whatever it takes, right? Mm. And then as soon as I got back to the hotel after the race, I'd get a whiskey from the bar, um, and as soon as I sip a whiskey, you're done. Switch off. Mm. Try to control it with switches. Try yeah. to create these real physical switches. Have one whiskey. As soon as you sip that, doesn't matter whether you broke the world record or you came last and everything went wrong, you're done. Mm-hmm. job done now i'll be a human being for the rest of the time and that was something that really helped me and gave me a lot more balance yeah it's, it's funny that i think like the, the sort of mindset that goes into it like you say is is sort of it can carry across into to life so a rugby player and many rugby players i, I imagine in that scenario could have um give everything on the field or like you say give everything on, on your track and field then gone for the drink, but then give everything to go and drink and go and get get absolutely hammered. Um, so yeah, is that that's a sort of a funny example I imagine you could give. But there's also like there's that sort of mentality, I guess, where you know being so anal and being so sort of, um, I guess finite with the stuff that you're doing and and the training that you're doing and and like for me, mate, like being in the weights room, like I never want to like go lighter than no, I, 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 I go lighter than I know that I, I can or heavy, yeah. you know, I can go heavier than 
um, than what I'm doing. Um, so I'm like, can't miss a rep, can't miss a set. So that really, really gets you to the to what Nick you need to be in, but to what state you need to be in, and to the power and everything for being a rugby league player. Um, but then I guess you know that does need to to have a switch off point, like you say, and 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 that's quite a cool thing that you've said there to have that sort of physical um, switch and, and moment in time which you tap into the right relax now I'm just a human being yeah. I'm just Jack having a whiskey and is that something that, that you actually self-coached yourself, yourself and that you looked at and that you developed and over time after after in that period in, in Florida yeah very much so it was something that I thought you know I there's I, I tried to get an understanding of actually what, who am I? Am mm-hmm. I just an athlete or is there more to me? Am I, you know, am I a son? Am I a friend? And am I, you know, whatever it might be, well-being consultant, now public, whatever yeah. coach, you know, instead of just being, you know, this one person, as soon as I was able to understand my different roles within life and my different importance to different people that allowed me to then realize, actually, I don't have to be this athlete all day, every day. Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of my progress within my mental health has just come from perspective and awareness mm-hmm. um, and being like, right, cool, who am I and why am I feeling this? Um, and I'm very lucky. I seem to be, it's part of my, um, one of those skills that as such that I have traits that, that kind of can push me over the edge is I'm incredibly, hi- I'm like hyper aware, um, which helps me in many ways. But that's then when the anxiety kicks in. So that's another example of, of a trait that can help me and also hinder me. Mm. But yeah, so for me, it was like understanding my identity was a big one. Um, and it ended up helping me perform a lot better in, in terms of on the track. So I allowed myself to just be me um, rather than this demanding what I should be. It was just going, well, I am who I am. And I think something we get wrong a lot of the time within sport, and it's a real hard balance, and I appreciate this, but we always demand that we should be better every day every day i'm trying to be better than i was the day before mm. right sometimes that isn't possible yeah some days are crap some days i am useless right mm. yet we demand it and then we beat ourselves up when when did we decide that actually who we are isn't good enough like and also why do we then attach our physical attributes to that as a person i am enough right but as an athlete I tie the two together and go, well, I wasn't better than yesterday. When actually, yeah, I might physically not have improved as such immediately, but I'm still good enough as a person. I'm still where I need to be as a person. It's then understanding that. And something at all I, I, I use and I teach a lot is about measuring yourself on effort rather than the result. So I used to always be like, right, if I win the race or I, I run a fast time, it's a successful result. I could run the fastest time I've ever run, become second, and I'm a failure, right? Because I didn't win the race because someone beat me. And then I applied that in everything I did in terms of, right, every day I should be 110%. I should always be more than the day before, da 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 And I'd beat myself up and just be brutal about myself when actually all you can measure yourself is on effort. Like, you might have the mental health stresses or financial stress or family, friends, whatever it might be, you might be unwell. You only have 60% in the tank. So all you can give is 100% of that 60, right? And that's yeah. all I can measure. If yeah. I step off the track and I've gone, did I give everything possible? Yeah, cool. Then it doesn't matter what the result is because I did my best, which sounds soft, but it's really true. 
Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from, I've worked with guys, you know, world record holders, Olympic champions, world champions, some of the best athletes that have ever lived. And I've trained with them and they are not superstars every day. And I'm sure you can say this with mm-hmm. some of the players you played against. Mm-hmm. They have off days, but actually what they're really good at is turning up every day and giving everything. Mm-hmm. They never back down in terms of effort. Yeah. The That's performance might dip because they're human. Yeah. Yeah. But they always turn up and give it like, you know, this, this person's always fighting. And that's the difference for yeah. me. And that, that helped me a lot in terms of my performance. And I became a lot more consistent within life and sport when I started measuring myself on, on effort. Yeah, mate, like that, that's massive. And, and I don't know if you'd, you'd seen um, what I put out recently um, from Dr. Alan Johnson, who, who he actually he works with Team GB now. As yeah, a sports he's doing some good stuff. Yeah, yeah he's, he, mate, he did some brilliant stuff for us and he gave us some models and they're not complicated, they're not complex, but they're, they're, they're really easy to be able to sit down with and to go through with and to, I mean, especially in these times, we did, we did a podcast around the coronavirus and related the models for, for people to be able to download them now and go through them and, and, and sort of help themselves. And, and for anyone listening, if, if they want to look at that, it's um, at mentalitymagazine.com forward slash coronavirus. And it's a free download. You can download the pack and, and sort of, go through them yourselves and, and just why I'm saying this is because of, of what you were talking about there, Jack, with, with tying yourself in, um, you know, the, the athlete, but that's sort of merging in with, with you as a human being. That's sort of, uh, I've been there. It's a tricky way to sort of operate because you win, you feel good as a human being, you go out, you have a drink, you enjoy yourself. It's all good. The next week you get hammered by 40 points. You're like, can't stop thinking about the game you can't stop thinking about the 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 things that happened in the game and things that you need to get better um and and that's it's powerful in a way like you say to to have all the energy invested in, in one thing sometimes but and a lot of the time it's probably not um so the, the, you know the, the self-esteem foundations is is one of the models that Alan Johnston actually put put across to us and, and gave to us after our podcast um, to put out there. And, and that was basically just breaking, you know, Jack Green down, Stevie Ward down uh, as, a, as a human being, as a person. So a rugby player might be on there, might be able to list the actions and, and the sort of measurements that you can can take from that. Um, but also I'm a brother, you know, I'm a, I'm a mental health advocate and, um, you know, probably very similar to you, mate, in, in terms of what we do and how we operate. So, you know, that's that's a really good point that you brought up and um and, and I love that measuring your measuring yourself on effort and it's almost like an RPE scale. You know, you go into a gym and, you know, you you, you get told and sometimes when we go into the gym you get told RPE what what to train at and um, you know, sometimes it's nine out of ten, sometimes it's ten out of ten, but usually the day after a game, it's not going to be 10 out of 10, you know, so you've, you've got to go in and the wrong thing would be to go, right, well, I'm getting massive today and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put all this weight on today because it's like your body's recovering. So there's got to be some sort of um, thinking involved and some sort of mapping out of, of I guess, there what you're saying, who you are. And, and um, man, I'd love to hear about more of the stuff that, 
that, that, that, that you may have done in, in terms of that? Did you look at values as well? And did you look at, because I've looked at this awesome infograph that you've put out on Twitter just earlier. That's brilliant, yeah. by the way. It's brilliant that. I might yeah. steal that idea off you, um, <laughs> by the well, way. someone did it for me. It was complete. <laughs> it was after a talk I did at, at BBC. One of the employees said, oh, just wow. sent it through and said, oh, I did this after listening. So, you know, really humbled by that because it's fantastic. And That's I was like, negative. please, can I use it? Some great content. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It's good because you just packages everything up and it's like well yeah. that's what you're gonna get and and that's the story i, I loved him and um yeah yeah i, I really enjoyed looking at that and it and it, and it was funny because it mentioned on there the sofa surfing so i imagine that might have been and i think back to my time 12 months out you do a lot of sofa surfing uh, with a nurse injury and you, you look at a lot of different things you look at things that help you look at things mm-hmm. that might not mean anything to you what did you come across at that time and and what did you come across when you when you sort of was on your sofa surfing and 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 i guess questioning what you'd been through but what you wanted to go go like go forward with and and like yeah at that point i was still in a really strange place and i was i was using alcohol to manage my mental health and and very lost in terms of no money was having to coach myself and decide what to, to do moving forward but Actually, when you talk about values, that was something that really helped me when it was actually like, what's important to me? What's And this goes a little bit into purpose and it's important that you find your values. And it was just understanding like, what's important to me? What do, what do I kind of appreciate from other people? Like, what are those, those things that I enjoy seeing from people? I'm, I, I pride myself on, it's like asking someone, what are three things that you describe yourself as, right? They, they tend to come out as your values because they're the things that you value of yourself. For me, it's honesty, it's loyalty, it's that kind of thing. So as soon as I understand, it's, it's almost going back to that standard thing of understand yourself of who you are, isn't it? What we've talked about a lot on this. And it's, it's just sit down, have a think, actually be like what's important to me what matters and then work almost back from that or forward from that however you want to look at it and then you'll realize actually what should i be giving my time to what's important how should i be behaving rather than what you maybe currently are um so yeah it's just such hell it's a difficult one isn't it? all of this is difficult right because mm-hmm. we're all individual something i always say with my with my talks i always get asked can you can you give me a topic and i go no can't I'll tell you, it's my story. That's my topic. Because if I say it's resilience, then that might work for whatever percentage of people. But then there's a load of people that are going, I didn't get resilience from that. But what I got was this, because we all relate and we all have individual experiences and, and so on. So that's really, really, really tough for me to kind of put a finger on that at most. But as I said, my values are such a, a, around honesty, loyalty, and, and very much going back to what we talked about, that authenticity, human trust. Like it. Those are things I appreciate. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, as you're speaking there, um, have you had an experience? I mean, it's obviously a short, short experience after um, retiring not so long ago, but have you had an experience when someone might look at, um, you know, look at who themselves are, but I've, who they are, but then have like a negative perspective. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm not sure. And I, that's just a way of looking at it purely, just a way of looking at it in their perspective. But what what would you recommend for people that, that are in that mindset or um, that sort of idea? Because, you know, that, that that surely is just a way that you're looking at it and, and, and it's about seeing the good rather than seeing the, the negative. I think a really um, 
simple way of, of approaching anything negative to begin with is all about language, right? So it's changing your language from, and it's simple stuff, but when you really think about it, some of the words we say, you think, oh, I'm saying that, and, mm. and I can't do this. I know this mm. sounds so simple, but we'll go to the basic, I can't do this. When say, well, if you're going to say can't, you at least I can't do this yet or now. Yeah, I like that. Um, but yeah. I will. It's, and for me, a lot of negativity comes from the stories that we tell ourselves and these internal stories. So if you can change the language of how you talk to yourself, and you can still say the same things, but you say them slightly differently. Mm. You start to get that big change. And language is something that I'm looking within corporate environments as, well, how can we change language? Because you look at language within a corporate environment, it's all very much conflict, war, aggressive, masculine. It's all about let's win this beer, let's destroy the, the opposition, same with sport. But yeah. then, so we're putting people into conflict and mindset is in conflict. And then we're asking them to be open, honest, you know, vulnerable yet we've got them in a with all our language and their environment in a in a conflict environment so you can almost apply that that kind of idea and those thoughts to your own stories and your own thoughts in your head how are you talking to yourself what language are you using that's a fantastic place to start if i think if you if you try and start somewhere else it might be a bit too big to change mm. it's just simple changes to begin with yeah i like so. that it's a lot of it is 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 down to your inner monologue and there's so many things that can come in and around to change that and to sort of make you feel better you know like but i guess that is the way that you are looking at it where you're talking to yourself the relationship with yourself um you know i think back to to my career and I was 19 and I'd done my shoulder, dislocated my shoulder, damaged all the nerves down it. And um, it was probably the first big roadblock in my career, big big sort of um, bout of adversity. And I remember in the times actually coming back playing where I wasn't playing to my best and I couldn't really put the size on, put the weight on that I needed to. Um, that was sort of like the, the big the, the big bout of adversity for me, the sort of the time when I felt depression, the time I experienced depression and the confusion in terms of not being able to um, be that rugby player, not being able to to do all the things that I hung my self-esteem on. That was the, the, the big moment. And, and at that time, my inner monologue was like really negative. It was really negative. It was like walking towards the rehab section in the gym and just like... God, I've got to do this again. I've got to do the reps again. I've got to um, go through this pain, and I, you know it was sort of really negative. And obviously, the experiences that you learn and coming back and 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 being able to play and sort of having those experiences in the cookie jar really helps you because you know you you know that you've got that backdrop of inner monologue or the negative inner monologue, and you know you don't really have to go back to it because you can twist it. You can sort of like shape it as you say, and I guess. You know, talking about the mental health oil tanker being turned and, and sort of pushed in a good direction. Um, that's, I guess, what people listening should should look to do and, and should start to do. And, and with those small steps, um, it's, it's a really, really big thing to, to, to look at and to look at how you're talking to yourself in the morning, look at how you're talking to yourself and um, sit down sometimes and meditate and notice them thoughts is, is a big thing um, and to think... Where them thoughts coming from anyway? I always that always baffles me <laughs> when you when you sit down and meditate and you go, Why am I thinking about that? And then, you know, you start thinking about where hamsters live all of a sudden and you're like, <laughs> how have I gone to that? What's going on? Um that is a quandary. I don't know where hamsters live, but um <laughs> I've got on one a bit. Um so I, we spoke a bit about purpose as well, Jack. 
what, mm-hmm. what what's the process that you sit down with um with big guys at the BBC studio and and you know considering whatever job they have you know is there a process that you do and is that something that you've come on to yet very uh, i've been there what just not even two months yet yeah, so not, still very much in the information a, 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 gathering a strange time by the way in it with with what's going tell on tell me about it yeah now about trying trying a whole new world um i've never <laughs> been in and got some i've got good ideas i think and i i think i can do a good job but yeah a whole new world and you get six days in the office and then work from home so Crazy. in terms of opening and also bbc is a massive company like mm-hmm. it's not like i've got it's not like i'm looking at a, a team of 12 of people 30 guys or something and just going right i can get you all in one room and we can do some stuff and we yeah. can move on it yeah. um it's the culture's a, a big thing and it's a lot slower movement mm. it's something i'm going to have to adjust to because it's something I, i'll struggle with because i'm used to just being like right here's a problem let's deal with it yeah because yeah, that's yeah. how sport works there's yeah. a problem you fix it and we do that in whatever ways but yeah so it's then kind of well for me it's if we're changing culture and we're we're changing stigma who are the people that that will get the most reach for us now for me um, and any well-being consultant will, will probably go with this straight away is right your line managers and your managers your people managers, HR, human resources and managers are the ones that work with people. Mm-hmm. So they are the face of any idea or strategy you come up with. So unless they are on board, unless you've educated them on that or you've put them through the training, it's not going to happen because they're the people out there on the ground that are maintaining it. it. Yeah. I can shout from the rooftop, right? But only so many people are going to hear it because I'm up over here and in London when we've got offices, 30 offices globally and so on. I, you send an email, there's hundreds of emails that go out, only so many people are going to see my email. So how do I then talk to managers and talk to HR who constantly all day are talking to people? Right, cool, let's let's try and help them. And then at the same time, they're taking on a lot of stress, right? They're having to deal with every. They're literally being counsellors without being counsellors. So then the next step is how do we then support them and their mental health? Because, you know, taking on other people's stuff is really hard. Um, and I think that's something that's been overlooked in a lot of places. It's just kind of gone, yeah, 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 sort the managers out. Yeah, give them this information. But these guys aren't qualified. How do we support them? But yeah, so that's there are a few other things. I'm all up in the air at the moment in terms of job wise and um, and and looking at all this information and and trying to piece it together to try and get the best result. But in the end, it's all about helping people, and, and it will always come from a, a good place when it when it comes from me. So yeah. that's one thing you know. Hopefully, the the company can you know take and and be pleased about is it will be coming from the right place and hopefully for the right result which is people yeah for sure for sure mate and and in terms of like looking after yourself um you know is, is there any sort of practices that maybe that, that you did do when you were um you know um competing that that, that worked for you but also that we've picked up after in, in terms of looking after your mental health is there any stuff that you can sort of uh, feed into that yeah so there's a little bit in internal stories I've always asked myself questions or my internal stories. So once I start and I spiral, I'm a spiraler. Yeah. I'll have one negative thought and I'm really good at spiraling. <laughs> um, but I'll ask myself questions. I'll break that thought up by being like, right, do I really believe this? Or is this true? Mm-hmm. And so on before I let it, I always ask myself questions internally, internal monologue. I love distractions. Chewing gum is a massive one for me. Mm. So just chewing gum is enough of a distraction for me to break up my thoughts and either plant in something a bit more positive or just break them up completely just by chewing gum. 
Um, it's almost like anchoring, right? So Richie McCaw, World Cup final, would scrunch his toes because it would then, you know, instead of getting overwhelmed by the fact, you know, World Cup final, this this many people in the crowd, or what if this happens, what if that happens? It just allows you, right, I'm back in the room. Actually, what's the important thing? Let's stay in the present, stay in the now. Quite like that, yeah. Um, other things, got myself a dog. I'm not saying everyone should get a dog, but having a responsibility that wasn't just me yeah. and having to, to get up out of bed and take her out, even when I'm feeling bad, because she has to go out. She's a living yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, that was good to have right now. <laughs> yeah, hugely. Yeah, it's a good excuse to get out yeah. uh, at the moment. So, yeah, so doing that, keeping busy, staying social, so making sure I've got things to look forward to in terms of keeping busy. Mm-hmm. So there's always a future. Yeah. Um, Social, trying to see and talk to people as much as possible, which obviously is so important at the moment. Um, even if it, I appreciate, you know, Zoom, Skype, house party, FaceTime, they're, they're, it's not the same as seeing real people, but it's better than nothing, right? Um, and then, yeah, just a few things like that, really. For me, there's another one I do to small to-do lists, and I don't mean in terms of um, the length of them, but what's on them. So when I was really bad, like, you know, when you have a real mental health problem, getting out of bed's hard work, right? Yeah, it's something I take for granted now because I'm in a good place. I just get out of bed and get on with my day. So what I do with my small to-do list is I tick off everything I do in a day. So get out of bed, write it down, tick, get dressed, cool, shower, take the dog out, have breakfast, do this and that. Because how I used to work was, and it's almost like this results and effort thing, I used to look at the end of my day and go, oh, well, I'm not Olympic champion, so I'm a failure. Actually, when you put down everything you've done in a day, you soon realize, wow, I actually do a lot. I've actually been really productive and and achieved a lot. And it's something I've I've said at studios with people, like especially at the moment, just because you're not delivering on a massive project doesn't mean you're still not moving forward and achieving. And we as human beings like to feel like we're achieving. So it's a good way to to look at your how productive you're being and actually appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, I like that, mate. And there's a lot of people, you know, probably listening to this and that need to know that. And it mate, it's a great perspective from you, from the stuff that you've done. And to have that understanding that you know, not every day is going to be, you know, racing the Olympics. Not every day is going to be going to, to play a game and not every day is going to be, you know, delivering something at work. You know, those those days, you know, are sort of the the good ones and, and the adrenaline fuel ones. But, you know, the tasks that you can achieve in between that shouldn't be overlooked as well. You know, they're, they're definitely something that, that needs to be ticked off, like you say, and to be acknowledged. And, and obviously another way to do that is to keep a journal and to sort of go back through your day. And, and I always recommend, and um, Chris, who, who sometimes you know co-hosts this podcast too, um, to write the free highlights of your day down into a journal at the end of the day so you can actually go, you get that mind, that part of your mind, that reticulate activating system um to uh to have a look back through your day and go all right okay let me tell the thing and even if you had a really shocking day like so every every day i'll i'll have a, a rating a system uh for my day so minus two is a really really bad day minus one is a bad day zero is like an all right day one's a good day and then two is a really good day even if it's a minus two I'll, I'll obviously write minus two, write a bit about what the day, but then I'll go write three best points, right? And I'll be sat there and I'm thinking, right, okay, there's going to be something, there's going to be something here. And I'll think back and I'll think, yeah, you know what? I, I was glad um, when I went to see my mum, she made me a cup of tea. Um, you know, I was glad that, um, 
I watched this program and I learned this one thing. Do you know? And you can you can go back and you and 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 that overflows into the next day because you you're considering thinking right, what's going to be a good a good thing that happens here? And you're sort of more aware and you're more looking at it. So that's a, a really good bit of advice I like to give people on on that sort of stuff. And and it sort of gets training your brain to look at the good stuff, like just like gratitude, and, and you'll be well aware of that, pal. Um, so yeah, um, that, that's a good thing. And, and thanks for all that too, mate. Um, and, and there's one thing that, that I want to ask you, mate, and, and I'm starting to ask all high performers this that I get on the podcast. And I'll try not to give too much context around it, but it's completely our answer. Um, for So what is it for you to be on? I think the first thing I went to was about that flow state, focus, like just in the groove where everything is easy. You're in form, you're in shape, you're just ready to rumble, and that's in every aspect. When when things are easy is when I'm on, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but how, then the, the next part is how do you get to on, mm. um, which is the exciting part and, and part of the journey. And it's almost getting to how do I get to that high performance stage and what state do I need to be in? And, and I think more and more we're, we're looking at what mental state we need to be in. Yeah. In the end, like best performers are the people up top, right? Everyone, there's so many physically talented people in the world. You've met people who, um, you know, when you were younger, I imagine who you're thinking, why the hell aren't they, you know, the best player in the world now? Because, mm. you know, it tends to be something different up top. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, you're born with it, but just how, how you've adapted, how you've, you've overcome and environments and so on. So for me, yeah, on is, is, is a state, um, mm. a mental state and it's when it's life's easy and you're focused and ready to ramble. Yeah. I like it. I relate to that, mate. It's like you're sort of flowing in between stuff and it's easy to, to tick things off, like you say. Yeah. Um, and, and I always bang on about this, but I will bang on about it again, but I talk about the values and relating your behaviours to your values but then actually going further from that and saying right these behaviours I'm going to do this on that day I'm going to do this on that day and then when you get to through two or three days and you're ticking them off all of a sudden you're like you're like you're in the zone for like even if I'm not playing rugby and I'm doing stuff I might be doing a podcast with someone I might be writing something I might be going to try something new um, all relating to like you say what you said a bit earlier what's important to you and what works for you um, and, and and that that's a big thing and, and I guess exploring that I've had more time to sit around and explore that but I know that when I sit down at the start of a week and write a goal write why it's meaningful to me and a reward that I'll get after um, achieving that goal hopefully at the end of the week is, is something that works with me and, and obviously probably taps into that athlete mindset but try not to beat myself up too much if I don't get it I did um, juggling the other week and it took me six days just and honestly I was going at it I must have been going at it for hours every day because I was like I'm not going to get there I'm not going to get there <laughs> but I, I, while I was juggling obviously it's such a meditative state and um, you're sort of like in the zone then I'm like that's a good that's a good one so I'm going to try and do four four balls now um, so I'm, I'm going to do my best with that I'm going to do my best with that um, so yeah mate I, I mean is there anything that you'd like to to share with, with anyone you know before we, we knock off and I've, I've still I've still an hour and 15 minutes of your life already but um, is there any anything that you want to share with anyone and, and sort of put a message out there for, for any sort of thing that, that you feel valuable and, and, and what you'd want to, to put a, a, a lesson out there for Hell, I talk a lot, so there's plenty of plenty of things. There's a lot but in for there, me, yeah. it's yeah, there's there's plenty there, and I'm, hell, I've probably gone through a lot of them then in the last hour and a bit. But, mm-hmm. but 
for me it's like be kind to yourself because quite frankly world's pretty tough as it is you don't need to add on to that you're okay as you are more than okay as you are um and i think there's a and i hate all the soft stuff right but it comes up so often um and there's something that it's about this you know there's a blue sky right clouds will come across storms will come across but you'll always be able to see the blue it's always there somewhere it doesn't take over the whole sky and as soon as you can appreciate that whatever state you're in whether you're feeling like you're in that storm or that bad, bad weather it's a moment it's something that's just happening to you it isn't you so move through it there's always better times loads of things be kind loads of different stuff that i've just rambled on again but yeah for me just be kind and, and look after yourself brilliant cheers for for coming on mate that's been no awesome problem. what a story you've got on and i imagine mate you, you're gonna go and deliver that story and, and more lessons to, to people going forward too so cheers for coming on pal no problem thanks for having me